0: First of all, I want to thank Jonathan for introducing us to this song from Australia. Thank you. But the reason for this confusion, you see the man on the street, and my colleagues went out and filmed. The reason for this confusion about what the Christian faith is all about is because personality cults, Abounds in the Christian church. If you look up the definition of personality cults, you're going to discover the following an excessive public admiration for or devotion to a famous person. That person often presents himself or herself and their views and their teaching to be contrary to the norm. This is how they attract attention to themselves, and that's how they become cult leaders. In the Christian world, we've seen this through the years, and we're seeing it now. Those popular personality cult leaders often teach things either contrary to the Word of God or runs parallel with the Word of God. In either case, their teaching becomes as acceptable as the gospel truth. Enough said, but the reason for the rise of these personality cults in the Christian church is that because people are often looking for answers. People are often looking for answers, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they look for them in a man or a woman. They look for them in a system. They look for them in a set of teaching. They look for them in a little packaged uh, formula. They look for them everywhere except where they're supposed to be looking, and that's the truth of the Word of God the Word of God itself has the answer. And so, the clever cult leaders present themselves and their false teaching as the answer to their questions. That way, the leader actually subtly, sometimes now I'm seeing it not so subtly, <laughs> is that they uh, have people place their loyalty to them individually and not to the Lord and His Word. Now, beloved, I want you to hear me right on this one. A true believer, a genuine believer, a Bible-loving, Bible-believing believer has his first and foremost loyalty not to a pastor, not to a priest, not to a denomination, or even a pope— But their first and foremost loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, and His inspired, infallible Word of God. In Matthew 24, Jesus warned again and again. He said, let no man deceive you. See the New Testament again and again warns us against deception, be forewarned against deception. The New Testament tells us again and again that the master of deception, of course, is Satan himself, but another source of deception is self-deception. In the same way, Satan uses these personality cult leaders to get them off the path ever so slightly Ever so slightly, but it never stays there. Never stays there. Unless you wake up in time, you go over a cliff. If not, then their humanistic, hedonistic gospel will lead us to destruction. Now, the Apostle Paul is one person who was absolutely alert, he was absolutely aware of the insidiousness of that subtle deception. He knew that deception can come to all of us, pastor and congregation, all of us, that deception can come to the most ardent Christian, that deception can invade a believing church, that deception can come to future leaders of a church like Timothy, to whom he's writing. And that is why Paul begins chapter 4, the last chapter in the second epistle to Timothy in chapter chapter 4, verse 1, and he says to him, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Powerful words. I'm going to explain them a little further as we stand up as we've been doing throughout this series of messages. We'll complete it next week. Chapter 4, 1855 in the Pew Bible. If you are short-sighted and want to have a Bible in front of you, if you're long-sighted, you can read it from the screen. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. Let's read them together. In the presence... father forbid it that whether in this beautiful sanctuary or those who are watching around the world would harden their hearts and not allow the holy spirit to invade the privacy of their thoughts and minds and will in order that we may all be ready and prepare to receive the crown of righteousness in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. I want to tell you at the outset that the NIV, which we just read, verse 1, is the translation is very weak. It really is. It's not as strong as it should have been in the translation, I give you this charge. Well, it can be just anything, I'll give you this charge. No. A more powerful translation, more accurate translation, I solemnly charge you. This is a legal term which means to testify under oath in the court of law, except this is the court of heaven where the witnesses, no other than the Holy Trinity. So what is this charge that Timothy is to receive? What is that charge that he's charging Timothy with? It's a charge under oath to be faithful to the Word of God and to preach the whole counsel of God that Timothy would speak what God has already spoken, no more and no less, that Timothy would not take liberty to massage or to improve or to soften the Word of God. And by the way, Timothy, if people don't like it, that is not your problem. Now, that's a use of translation, but you'll you'll get the meaning. Why? Because God is the only one who's going to judge him. God is the only one who's going to judge me. God is the only one who's going to judge every one of us. Why? Because as long as Timothy, as long as you, as long as I am faithful to the Lord, we have nothing to fear. Now, you remember earlier in the passage when we started this series, in the very beginning I told you we saw together how Paul told Timothy to guard the truth, guard it. And secondly, he told him to continue in that truth. And thirdly, we saw how he told him, if you have to, suffer for that truth. And fourthly, here today he is telling him to proclaim this truth, to gossip this truth, to preach this truth, to share this truth, to pass on this truth. How is he to do this? Well, three ways he gives him. First of all, he's got to be urgent about sharing of that truth. Secondly, he is to be relevant when he shares this truth. And thirdly, he said that he is to be patient for the fruit of that truth. Let's look at those three very quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with each one. I'm just going to look at them very, very quickly. To be urgent in sharing of the Word of God. What does urgent mean? It means to be ready. It means to be on call. It means that you're always alert, looking for opportunities, and looking for ways by which you can share the truth. Never lose your sense of urgency. Think with me, please. This is important. Suppose I walk out of my house, and I look right next door to my neighbor's house, and it's on fire, and try to imagine me putting my hands in my pocket, and I walk slowly in a nonchalant way, and I look at the house burning, I said, what do you know? <laughs> the, house is, the house is on fire. <laughs> now, that is not, that's not a sense of urgency at all, and I don't think any of us would do that. Paul is communicating to us the fact that without Jesus, people are dying and will be spending eternity in torment. And if you have the slightest love for them, the least you could do is warn them. Warn them. When the opportunity comes, plead with them. Be urgent in thinking about their eternity. I said this is last night, yesterday evening, I was talking to a neighbor in house. I said, don't forget eternity is a very long, long time. I was pleading with him. Here's something that's very important. I don't want you to miss it. Listen carefully. This does not mean that we badger people with the gospel. You know what I mean? There are people who do that. Rather that we're looking at for opportunities, looking for doors that are open, watching for, for an opening. Uh, we, we must be alert constantly, ready. For the moment the door is open, we're ready to share the truth with them. I want you to listen to me, please. We have no right to invade people's privacy or deliberately step on their toes. That is not who we are. That is not what our Christian faith is all about. That is not what it meant here in this urgent, uh, the, 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 the call to urgency. You see, some people take verse 2 to mean that, 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 this, that Paul is giving us a license to make pests of ourselves until people believe. No, 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 no. The reason he said to preach in season and out of season Uh, is not in terms of the person to whom you are witnessing, but in terms of us who are witnessing. It's for us, not for them. It's it's the one who's doing the witnessing. And be ready to witness when the opportunity comes, whether it is convenient for you or not. Literally, be on duty all the time, whether it's convenient for you or it is not. You see, the great apostle is not giving us a license for rudeness, but an appeal against Christian laziness. Can I get an amen? Well, the second characteristic about our appeal is to be relevant. Bringing the gospel to bear on the circumstances that people are going through where they find themselves. This is how you go about it. Is a person in need of healing? Take the opportunity. Tell them, let me tell you about the great physician. Let me me tell you about my God, the God whose name is Jehovah Jehovah, Rothi, God, my healer. Is that person in a predicament? Tell them about the only one who can deliver them. The reason there are three different ways here, three different words—convince, rebuke, and exhort. There's a reason for that. (laughs) It's because each of these are to be used differently in different circumstances depending on where the need is. Let me explain this. For those who are tormented by doubt, we convince them by argument. For those who are falling into sin Uh, And they desperately need to be gently rebuked, exalted, and then be led to the place of forgiveness and restoration. For those who are haunted by fear, (laughs) we need to encourage them to overcome by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you how Jesus Himself did it. Let me show you how He did it. It's very important. With the Samaritan woman, He knew she was living a defeated life, He knew that she absolutely dreaded the life of drudgery that she was living in, where she goes and draws the water and then carries that heavy water jar all the way long distance. And so he opened the conversation with her. How? Give me a drink. Because that's where she is. That's where she mentally and emotionally. Water was her preoccupation. And what is Jesus doing? He is breaking her preoccupation of barrier, so she will be recipient to the Word of God. And from there, He told her about the water of life. He Himself can give. With Nicodemus, the erudite, sophisticated theologian, he cut through all the philosophical mumbo jumbos that theologians like to use. He said, you must be born again flabbergasted old Nicodemus. He did not ask Nicodemus to give him a drink. That's not even relevant to him. He did not say to the Samaritan woman, you must be born again. No, no. He looked for the opportunity where the need is, where the circumstances are, and he presented himself and presented his message to that person's need. The truth of the Word of God teaches, reaches everybody at their level. Can I get an amen? And therefore, our task is to make the Word relevant to them. Not water down the Word so they can accept it. No. We make it relevant to them. The Word of God needs to be communicated, what? Urgently. Secondly, it needed to be communicated relevantly. And thirdly, it needs to be communicated patiently. Now, I don't know why I really do, but it just invariably always happens when I use the word "patience" so patiently, I come under complete conviction. Now you might not do that, but that's I do. That's OK. The Lord knows my heart. I just come under conviction. I want to quit right here. See, there are those. try to manipulate people's emotions to get the results they wanted. There are those who resort to the bait-and-switch techniques to get people to do what they want. There are some who are totally marketing-driven in whatever the the ministry they, they are in. The problem is that when Some young pastors that I have met, and I get on the road when I speak to pastors, and and, and literally I know there's an organization that will have me on the road all, all year long to speak to pastors. But I do select, and I do go and speak to pastors from New York to Philadelphia, and I'll be in Phoenix next, year, next month. And wherever the opportunity comes, I go and speak to pastors. My burden is for pastors, but because I see some young pastors, when they see somebody who's compromising and preaching a false gospel, gets a large crowd, they said, I need to do that in order to get a large crowd. They have said that to me, some of them, with tears. And therefore they literally, literally step on step on their own conviction. But the problem with all of that is this listen to me very carefully, please. The problem with all of this these folks believe that they and their clever methods and their clever techniques and their clever marketing is what converts people. Beloved, that is not true. So, they think, if I can water down the message, if I can soften the gospel, if I can make it acceptable, I'm going to get more people. Oh, Jesus said—listen carefully—Jesus said, only those whom the Father draws to me will come to me. We don't convert anybody. We are incapable of converting anyone. Why do you think we ought to be on our knees all the time praying for the lost, praying for people to be saved? You see, our faithfulness faithfulness is not measured by results, by the faithfulness in our proclamation, by faithful witnessing, by faithfully passing on the God news to the next generation, to our children and children's children. And then patiently, wait for the fruit. I told you that's something I get under conviction, because I, I want to see fruit right away. But patiently wait for the fruit. Because, beloved, listen to me, it is always, always, always God's timing. not ours. Question: Why? Why did Paul charge Timothy to be urgent, to be relevant and to be patient? Why is he asking him to do that? Well, he gives us three reasons. I'm stuck on three this time, today, so bear up, put up with me, okay? Three reasons why he's got to be urgent, why he's got to be relevant, why he's got to be patient. The first reason, he said, because God will judge our faithfulness and lack thereof. He's talking to believers now, okay? I know there are Christians who don't like to hear this. They don't want to hear that they're going to give an account of every idle word that came out of our mouth. I know that, and sometimes I confess to you, I don't like it either. You don't have to say amen. (laughs) You see, in addition to the judgment of hell, the judgment of the non-believers— who will be eternally sent into that fire that would not be quenched, and the worm that will not die. In addition to that judgment, there is another judgment the Bible talks about. It is the judgment of the believers. Beloved, listen to me. You know, in this church, we take the whole Word of God to be the absolute authority. And when the Word of God says we are saved by grace alone, it means what? By grace alone. Say that with me. By grace You cannot do anything to earn it. You cannot uh, uh, buy it with all the money in the world. You cannot do anything to achieve it. It is a gift. It is by grace. God gives it to you and you grac- graciously and thankfully receive it from His hand. It is given by grace. Listen to what Paul said to the Ephesians in 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift from God. Verse 9. Not because of works. As if he said, if he didn't get it in verse 8, I'm going to give you, I'm going to emphasize it. Verse 9, not because of works, lest anyone boast. No bragging. I'm a sinner. God gave me what I don't deserve. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship— Created in Christ Jesus. You see, we we're created when we we're born physically. We are recreated. That's the rebirth. That's regeneration. We're recreated in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. What is this judgment of the believers? And if you want to read more about this, go to Romans 14.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and, and, and read about this judgment of the believers. Sometimes I like to refer to it as our award-giving ceremony celebration. Each of us—how many? Each of us will be rewarded differently. I want you to read my lips. God is not communist— God is not a communist. God is not going to reward every believer the same way. Can I get an amen? amen? God is fair and He's just. All the believers are saved by grace, gift of God, but not all the believers are going to be rewarded equally. Paul said we are not saved through good works, but unto good works. Say that with me. Not through good works, but unto good works. Himirat. If a person claims to be a Christian—you notice the word claim—if a person claims to be a Christian, does not give of themselves to the work of God, does not give of his or her resources, does not give of their time, does not give of their treasure, does not give of their talent— does not give, that does not live a chaste life, does not walk with God, that person, if he's saved at all, he or she is in a world of hurt. Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, every believer's work is going to be judged by fire. Well, let me give it to you in the Yusuf translation. In In that day of judgment for the believers, God is going to light a match fire. And those who sat on their blessed assurance and done very little, if nothing, that fire is going to burn their works like you have lit a fire to a barrel of hay. Nothing but dust, smoldering. I want you to use your imagination. The lazy believer, the unfaithful believer the unfruitful believer, the compromising believer, the unproductive Christian, their work will go up in a puff of smoke. But for the faithful believers, uh, the, the ones who gave of themselves, used their gifts, um, gave sacrificially, always serving and always giving, their work is going to be like gold i had relatives and cousins in the jewelry business and, and i was able to watch with my own eyes how they put uh, the gold on fire and they melt the gold and then they they they, they scrap they they they, they remove the the dross and the fire makes the gold purer and brighter and that is the work of the faithful people of god they're going to shine like gold They'll be brighter and purer than ever. And so the appeal here is urgent, is relative, relevant, and it's to be done patiently. Why? Because in the last days, every believer is going to be judged. I know some of you not liking this one bit. And as I told you, there are times when I don't want to like it either. But please, don't shoot the messenger. I'm only telling you what the Word of God said. But there's a second reason, He said. There's a second reason why we should be urgent, we should be rel- relative, relevant, and we should be patient. There's a second reason, and He said that reason is because we see an increase. of unfaithfulness. When you see increase of unfaithfulness, the reason I wrote this book that's just outside today is because uh, somebody asked me, one of our leaders were asking me before as we pray meeting before we got here, and, and he said, how long did it take you to write this book, Saving Christianity? I said, 40 years. And as I see people Turning their backs on the gospel, turning their backs on the truth, softening the message, softening the message. It gives burden got bigger and bigger and bigger on my heart. And so Paul said, when you see unfaithfulness to be rampant, is a reason for you to be urgent, to be relevant, and to be patient. Look at verse 3 with me, please. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate to themselves teachers who will suit their likeness. Beloved, many of these people are known to you. Many of these people are known to me. We have known them in the past when they believed what we believed, but not anymore. Their motto is this, as we saw in that little video, (laughs) I'm a Christian, but I'm not a Jesus freak. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe all of the Bible. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe the Old Testament. I'm a Christian, but I believe the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. I'm a Christian, but I am open-minded about it. I'm a Christian, but not exclusively so. I'm a Christian, but I like sermons… That don't convict me of sin. I like sermons that makes me happy. Paul said such people are suffering from a pathological condition called itching ears. They have itching for novelties. They have itching for what's trendy. They have itching. They have itching for what's new. They have itching For the soft on the belly. They have itching to hear that which is not convicting them of their sin and lead them to repentance. And the only relief they can get from this pathological condition (laughs) is for the preacher to tell them what they want to hear. Here's a fact about that condition. Their ears are stopped against hearing the truth. How can their ears get unstopped? Well, their itching ears can only be unstopped when someone scratches them. Ooh! I'm under conviction. That's good. So, what is Timothy to do? What are you to do? What am I to do? Verse 5, "'Stay the course and endure suffering if you have to.'" And at any cost, don't ever, 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 ever give up on the biblical truth. Beloved, here's a historical fact. Those young students who are interested in history, I I don't take very long about these things. I don't prolong them. But they're very interesting because the year 313 A.D., that's after Christ. A.D., 313 A.D., when Constantine, the Roman emperor with a stroke of a pen, change Christianity from being persecuted to being fashionable. It's the state's religion. We don't know. There could be millions, at least by hundreds of thousands, who went into the war of baptism. Hey, it's the religion of the emperor <laughs> you got you got you got you gotta do what is fashionable. You gotta do What's going on? So I personally cannot tell, I cannot tell the incredible, harmful influence of bringing paganism into the church and stayed ever since. I know we pray for the persecuted, and we should pray for the persecuted. I pray for the persecuted. Many of those persecuted are my dear personal friends, and we must always pray for them. But I can tell you, every time I talk to the persecuted, they say to me, we're praying for you in the West, and we're praying that God would send you persecution so that it's the only way for the church in the West to be purified. Beloved, I want you to hear me right on this one. It's a fact. When a church grows in favor with the world, it loses power with God. That's what we are. Let me repeat this. When a church grows in favor with the world, it loses power with God. We need to communicate the word urgently, relevantly, patiently. Why? Because God will judge our faithfulness. And secondly, because unfaithfulness is rampant. It's rampant, and we see it all around us. And thirdly, because Paul himself is about to die. Believe it or not, this is not a sad thing for Paul. This is not a sad thing. Paul is about to die, but Timothy now must keep the gospel alive. Paul is in chains, but Timothy must preach the freeing power of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. The time of my departure has come. Now, the word departure here is a significant thing. I want to just take a moment and and explain it to you. It's a word in the Greek that's used when a ship pulls anchor and beginning to sail to another shore. And that's how he sees his departure. Beloved, listen to me. This is how we should see the departure of believers. I often call it moving from the basement to the penthouse. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The Apostle Paul saw this. He saw his spiritual life to be a spiritual battlefield. Well, we don't like that, right? We just don't want to think of battlefield. But he saw his life as a, a battlefield. And as a soldier, as a good, faithful soldier, he stayed in the battlefield. And that is why he said, I fought the good fight. Like faithful military men and women, they stay, he stayed in the heat of the battle. He did not defect to the enemy's side. He did not run away. He did not hide. He did not choose the shady and cool spots. He did not choose the easy jobs. He did not run away from the front line. No. He stayed there and fought the good fight. But he also said his life was like a runner in a marathon. A runner in a marathon. And he kept on running. He kept on running. He would not stop. He would not quit the race halfway, even though he may have been tired, even though uh, he may have felt pain. He endured. At times, he probably felt exhausted, but he kept on running and kept on running until he ran the race, looking forward not to a green wreath as the Olympic runners would get, but to a crown of righteousness. Listen to me. Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that every believer might wear his crown of righteousness, of his righteousness. And then Paul immediately goes on to say, I'm not the only one who's going to get that crown. I'm not the only one. Everyone who loves Jesus is appearing. Everyone who loves the return of Christ. Everyone who's looking forward to the great day. Everyone who's longing for Jesus to come back and take us home. They too are going to have the crown of righteousness. Listen to me. Non-believers are afraid. When people start talking about the end of the world, now that's how the lingo they use, you know, when they talk about the end of the world, they're terrified. They really are. They panic. They think they can save the planet. They think they can extend their lives. (laughs) They, they They are afraid and terrified of that day, and they should be. For that day is going to be a dreadful day for them. It's going to be a dreadful day for them. Ah, but for us who love Jesus, those of us who are longing to see Jesus, those of us who are looking eagerly with expectations, that day is going to be a day of rejoicing. Can I get an amen? amen? That day is going to be a great day of anticipation. That day is a day we look forward to. The question is, are you living in fear of the day of the Lord, or are you anticipated with joy? You only can answer that question. And if you are in fear, you can change that today. You can say, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Forgive my sins. I'm a sinner and deserve hell, but you, when your blood shed on Calvary, offered me salvation, I receive it gratefully, and you change your destination from fear to joy. I'm going to conclude by reading notes that were left in the home of a martyr. He was martyred for Christ, and a few days later people found this. It's translated, so just bear with it. This man literally died for Christ. Here's what he wrote. We don't know how long before he was martyred that he wrote these words. He said, "'I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I will not look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present is, makes sense, and my future is secure.'" I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, and my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I won't give up, shut up or lit up, till I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up for the cause of Jesus Christ. For the cause of Jesus Christ, I must go till He comes, give till I drop, preach till everyone knows, work till He stops me, and when He comes for His own, He will have no trouble recognizing me. Because my banner would have been clear. Father, I pray for me that this would be my attitude, that this would be my longing. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, regardless of the heat in the battlefield regardless of how tiring the race, regardless of what may befall us, I pray that You would help me. And Lord, I would be remiss if I did not pray the same for my dear precious brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, and amen, and amen. Stand up and bless the Lord in a song.